there was this fellow who was very uncertain about his life. He once said, I used to think I'm indecisive. Now I'm not so sure. Indecisiveness, doubts, second-guessing yourself, is a serious issue that faces most of us, if not all of us. What can you do about it? How do you get out of that paralysis of being trapped and just not making a move, which sometimes is much worse than even making a bad move? So please join me in this special program, the Kabbalah of Choices, Five Steps to Overcome Indecisiveness. Hi everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We will be speaking about the Kabbalah of Choices, Five Steps to Overcome Indecisiveness. This program is dedicated by Levi Marmelstein in honor of his father, Rab Shmuel, Dov Ben Yechiel, Mayor's Yardsite, on the 11th of Shvat. There was this fellow who was very uncertain about many aspects of his life. He suffered from uncertainty. And he once said, I used to think I'm indecisive, now I'm not so sure. Does this resonate? You find yourself sometimes in a situation like that, where you just can't make a decision, and time passes, and because of the indecisiveness, you begin to become anxious, and you, f- and you finally say, I want something. There's an expression, there's no joy like one of resolving doubts. Doubts, indecisiveness, uncertainties are very debilitating because a human being, we're all wired in a way where we gravitate toward and we're drawn to certainty, to clarity, to confidence. Sometimes making a wrong move is better than making no move. What do they say? That the greatest risk of all is taking no risk. Obviously, we have to move forward with discretion and be prudent. But still, that place to be trapped in, and if you've ever been there, you know what it's like, is extremely disconcerting, demoralizing, debilitating in so many different ways. So what can we do about it? How do we deal with something like that? And this can be about small matters or about large matters. I can't tell you, I mean, one of the great challenges today is finding your soulmate, finding your match, finding your spouse. And the indecision around that, is she or he the right person? Maybe there's someone better out there. This person may have certain qualities, but not other qualities. And then you get yourself stuck in this vicious cycle, literally like quicksand, and indecisiveness becomes your status quo. And that itself is a, is, a, uh, is a toxic poison that weakens your resolve, it weakens your confidence, can't make a decision. And the same thing with other decisions we make in our lives. 
So this is a fact, this is a, an, an element in life, how to become more decisive, that affects virtually everything, because we all make decisions, we have to make decisions. And hence the Kabbalah of choices. So there's a fascinating episode. Everybody knows the story of Exodus, Egypt. And when the Jewish people left, they seemingly everything was great, right? Freedom. After hundreds of years of a Holocaust, of genocide, of enslavement, slave labor, and all that came with that, they're free. However, it's not over. The story's not over. Seven days after they left Egypt, they come before the Red Sea, or the Reed Sea. Okay. But there's a problem. Behind them, pursuing them, are the Egyptians that had a change of heart. They had all this free labor. Why, why, why did we let them go? So they were pursuing the Jewish people. So here you have the first documented story of being stuck between a rock and a hard place. The sea before them, their enemies behind them. Where do you go? What do you do? So there's a fascinating discussion based on a verse in the Bible that the people divided into four groups. Basically four different approaches to dealing with when you're trapped, when you feel stuck. And what happens? One group says, you know what? It's not worth it. We had at least, when we were slaves, we had the the security of knowing who our masters were. It's true. We were not in control of our own lives. So that was the approach of resignation, surrender. Let's return back to Egypt. It's not worth this, this battle. The second group said, no, absolutely not. We will go to war against the Egyptians. A third group, we'll call them the religious approach, said, let us pray to God. God helped us till now. Let us pray to God to help us. And the fourth, we'll call it escapists, escapism, said, let's jump into the sea. It's not worth living a life in slavery or battle and just rely on on faith and prayer. Let's jump into the sea and end it all. Moses turns to God and says, so what should we do? Doesn't seem like there's any other option. And God says to him one word, the fifth option. The option, he said, I told you, and I told your parents and your grandparents, and I promised you that you would go out of this land that is not yours, and you would go to Sinai and receive my mandate, the blueprint for life called the Torah, and then you would march toward the promised land. The promised land, I made that promise. So one word, vayiso, a Hebrew word, move forward, forge ahead. In other words, it's about you and your attitude. The water is in front of you, but you were given a, a, a you were given you were given a a, a, a a you were charged with a mission. Why are you getting stuck in philosophical philosophical arguments? And all these different groups, each one. Move forward. Focus on the positive instead of surrender, war, prayer, escapism. Move forward. And that's what happened. One man, Nachshan ben Amenadav, led the charge, led the way. He walked right into the water. And the story is that the water parted. The parting of the sea. And I'm not getting now into the miracle of it. 
the lesson is a tremendous lesson. That to stay here and argue which one is right, because what would have happened next? The Egyptians were, were pursuing them. The people are divided into four groups, and probably the next thing would be a debate, a philosophical debate, what's the best approach to life? But that alone can paralyze you, because you maybe you have no consensus. What do you do then? We'll talk about the four approaches shortly. But so is movement. Movement breeds movement. Movement breeds change. That's the story. And that means something happens. You don't always know where and how, but there's going to be a breakthrough. The fact of the incidentally, or maybe not so incidentally, is that they never had to go through the Red Sea or the Reed Sea to go to the Promised Land. They were actually taken on a detour for this event to happen. If you look at the map, you can go straight from Egypt through Sinai Desert to Israel. The Red Sea is the south. So they were taken down there, out of the, out of the regular journey. Why? One of the reasons to, for this story, to, tell, to show us all, them and all of us, that in the approaches to life, the most important thing is movement. Even though there's merit, you can argue, for each of the four approaches. You know, sometimes you have to surrender. Sometimes you have to compromise. But obviously we understand how this was not a way of life, to surrendering your very freedom. Sometimes we have to go to war and fight for what we believe. But that too, do you want to have a life of battle? There's always going to be adversity and adversaries out there. You want to be busy fighting your demons, fighting the demons without, within. No, that's also not an approach to life. The third approach, prayers, is also at times needed, but not enough. Together with prayer, as Jacob taught us, you need to also appease your enemy and sometimes go to war as well. So prayer is a piece of it, but that's not where we can rely on and just depend, I'll pray. No, you were given resources, you were given tools, you were given ingenuity, ingenuity, intelligence. Use them. And finally, the fourth escapism, of course, is also not an approach to life. At times, we may need a little denial, which is not the River Nile. But that's not an approach to life. The approach to life is the fifth option. By you so, to move forward. And that was why they were brought there to teach them and us till this day that we'll all be stuck in situations and we will have those four options. But the most important thing to remember is the fifth one. That is the correct one. Again, the other four, perhaps for a short-term remedy for the moment, but not approach to life. An approach to life is forward movement, forward progress, which of course means confidence. So you can ask the question, so why then are we so indecisive? What do you do about it? And indecision includes, especially if you're an intelligent person, options. You have so many options. That's what feeds the indecision. To do this or to do this or to do that. Sometimes indecision is just based on no options. You just don't know what to do. But frankly, it's far worse when you do have options and you don't know which one to take. Do you surrender? Do you go to war? Do you pray? Do you escape? And when you think about the fifth one, it's a very different approach altogether. Even though the other four have some element of action, 
whether it's surrendering or battling, but true, positive action is only one. The going forward means you're ignoring, not in a negative way. You're transcending, that's a better word. I don't want to say ignoring. You're not ignoring the situation. You're transcending the circumstances. You're transcending the very concept. The very idea of being trapped, being stuck. The very idea of indecisiveness. The best solution and antidote to indecisiveness is movement. Because indecisiveness, it's nature, it's anatomy, it's heart and soul, is paralysis. It's staying where you are. It's doing nothing. On the fence. And that is worse, actually, than anything else. Because what does it do to you? It reinforces that you're not sure. It reinforces you don't have confidence. It reinforces you don't have courage. It reinforces that you don't have the ability to make a move. And that is much worse than any move you can make. Because it's all about the, the spirit and the attitude that a person has. Yes, psychological warfare is, is perhaps even more important than physical warfare. That's why intelligence is so important in, at, at times of war. Churchill said it beautifully, he said, in times of war, the truth is so precious, you have to surround it with an army of lies. If you have all the resources you need, and you're more powerful than your opponent, but you don't think you are, and he can bluff you, he or she can bluff you to think that they're more powerful, you, can, you will end up losing. Because you lose confidence in yourself. How often do you find this in sports or in other areas where a top athlete, maybe the number one in the world, gets into a funk, an injury, a loss, or, or, his, or his opponent gets into his head, and he just can't do it. Not because he, nothing changed. His talent is as good as it was. But his confidence is not there. So this moving forward is about infusing yourself with confidence. You have the power to move. And when you move, things happen. It's like shaking things up. The worst thing is becoming stuck. So though the other four options, each one has its merit, but at the end of the day, when you have them all, you're stuck because you don't know which one, you don't know which one to choose. You have to always think of number five, the moving forward. And the other four can be assets that may help you toward moving forward. But that's the goal. Let's say you have someone really hurt you or abused you in your, in, in your life, recently or earlier in your life, and you can't get it out of your head. If not asked for forgiveness, you have no closure. It, it haunts you. It consumes you. Especially someone that was close, someone you have a relationship with or should have a relationship with. What do you do about it? So you'll see all these four options. Some people just feel that they're worthless and they just continue to be victim. Doesn't mean they continue to be abused, but they continue psychologically to be victimized, always intimidated, always fearful, but not willing to confront. So you become a pleaser. You just go along. You're dominated by the other. Not necessarily physically, but psychologically. That's the first approach, surrender. Okay, what could I do? I was hurt. I'm damaged goods. 
no one's going to believe me or no one's going to really trust me or whatever the reason or whatever your thinking is. A second approach is the opposite. You become very confrontational, very aggressive. I often tell people when I, in counseling that when you were dealing with abuse, there's two extremes that seem to be opposites, but they come from the same root. One is you never confront. You just accept in silence. You suffer in silence. And you allow yourself to continue to be hurt because nothing is acknowledged and you don't want to rock the boat. You know, I know people who have really been seriously abused, they don't want to confront their abuser. They don't want to tell anyone. And they can care more about the other person than about themselves, which is like option one. Then there's the other extreme. So much anger, you tell everyone. You expose, you fight, you confront, you cut off. But in a way, you're still connected because you, the, your, the, the abuse is causing you to be this way. And you become an angry person. You become an aggressive, confrontational person because that happened. That's the other extreme. So it's still impacting you. It just impacts you in the other direction. You go to war. You're a warrior. There are many people who have been very hurt, and that's their life. They're fighting. And even when there's nothing to fight about, they create a fight because they're used to that. They're accustomed to confrontation. You hear this often, people who've grown up and had trauma, sometimes they continue to create trauma because they thrive on it, not necessarily consciously, that they become so accustomed to it that that's their comfort zone. Yes, it's, it's, it seems bizarre, but that's how it is. It's like someone who's used to toxic air, that's what they're looking for. They think that's healthy air. Then there's the third approach, which is a form of escapism, but not quite like number four, Escapism into religion, into faith. You don't really deal with it. You just say, let God take care of it. Now, there's an element we all need God. We need a higher power. We need to realize that we can't do it ourselves and we need that strength. So let's not dismiss that element. But if that becomes your only option, that's a piece of it that you connect. And we'll talk about that in a moment And the fifth option. That you connect. But if it becomes your only option which is, is just a form of not dealing with anything, just escaping into, into, into another approach or just faith. But you haven't grown from it. You need to grow. You need to develop an approach. And finally, the ultimate escapism, I don't want to call it suicide. That is, unfortunately, tragically, sometimes the choice people make because it's so painful and they're not judging anyone. But suicide can also be of other sorts. It means you completely numb yourself and avoid the whole thing altogether. So it's not surrender per se, even though it has an element of it. It's definitely not confrontation and war or prayer. It's just completely getting addicted to things, to numb, to somewhat relieve the pain, the existential pain, the emotional, psychological pain. It's escaping the whole reality in every possible way. Which, of course, is clearly understood that that doesn't heal anything. Just avoiding everything. And you see this often, that this becomes the, I'm not going to say numbers and statistics, but this becomes the approach that many people take. They find ways and they escape into different behavior, often destructive behavior, self-destructive behavior.
when you come to the fifth option, the thing, the key thing that stands out, if you look about, think about it, that you are not freeing yourself from the situation that you're in. Whether you're passive and surrendering and re- resigning yourself in option one, or the opposite, you're confronting and going to war, or going to escape through prayer and religion and faith alone, or escapism of numbing yourself and, a, and other, basically killing yourself, physically or emotionally. When you think of them all, they're all a result of the abuse. They're all a result of the challenge. They're an extension of it. You are now reacting. You have been defined by what has happened to you. So when the people were standing there and the Egyptians are behind them and the, and the seas before them, the first reaction is survival. How do I save myself? It's like a drowning victim. So the four approaches are all responses, reactions. The fifth approach transcends the circumstances, says you're not a victim, you're not a product, you're not defined by your circumstances. The fact that it, may, that it seems that you're stuck is in your mind. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't challenges, but it means you need to dig deeper and muster up energy and confidence to forge ahead, move forward, do something. But not something in response, something greater. So here we find the healthy element of faith. In the famous story with Rabbi Meir of Parmishlan, he once had to get to somewhere to a ritual bath and the slopes were slippery. And he was not a young man. He was able to make it. They asked him, how? How did you not get slip slip on the icy slopes of the winter, the Russian winters? And he said, because when you're tied above, you don't fall below. When you have something to hold on to. See, the four approaches are ultimately human logic trying to respond. Even prayer, you're turning to God, but it's completely to God. So it's all human responses. To what? To a human situation where you're stuck and trapped. The fifth approach is accessing something deeper, that you have strength. And that perhaps is why God had to say it. Why didn't any one of them come up with it? That's also a lesson. To open ourselves, as Moses did, what is the true approach? And God is saying, I created you. I gave you all the resources you need. There's no challenge in life that you cannot overcome. There's an expression. When they're building the temple, the sanctuary, Moses says to God, how could the human beings build a temple for you? You're God. He says, I, when I ask for something, I only ask that you're, what you're capable of. I'm not asking what I'm capable of. With the divine, what you're capable of. So essentially, the very fact that you're alive, the very fact that you were born, the very fact that every morning your contract is renewed, is a vote of confidence, a divine vote of confidence, that you are absolutely necessary, that you're indispensable that you have within you everything you need to face any challenge. That doesn't mean we won't be challenged. It means that we have the strength to deal with any challenge. I remember asking different times groups, and I said, let me ask you if you had two choices in your life. One is you should have no problems, no challenges, no setbacks, no traumas, no, no difficulties. A life of bliss, total bliss. That's one option. Or another blessing that you will have challenges in life, but whatever challenge you have, you have the strength to deal with. Which would you choose? So, of course, the knee-jerk reaction, the ostensible reaction is choice one. Of course, a life free. 
but the few people that did not choose option one because they thought about it. That's not realistic. Yes, it's a gift, but life by definition has challenges, and many of them are actually good challenges. The challenges of change, of adolescence, of growth, of development. Some are difficult challenges, and of course we pray to have the minimal of, cha- of difficult challenges, painful ones, tragic ones, losses, deaths, etc. Illness. But realistically, option two is what you want. And more importantly, option one, okay, so you're given a life of paradise, no challenges. That's how a soul is up in heaven. There are no challenges, there's no illness, there's no death, there are no financial issues, nothing. What, gives, what really gives you the ultimate strength to become a real, a real independent individual is to know I face challenges and I have the strength to deal with it. The first option doesn't build confidence in you. It's something outside of you is giving you a gift of, of animal bliss or, or just serenity and calm. The second approach is you have everything you need. So I'll put you in a situation which can be challenging, but know that you have everything you need. And therefore, just forge ahead. And a breakthrough will happen. It's a tremendous lesson in life when you understand this. So my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, a favorite line of mine, and has become quite popular, birth is God saying you matter. The fact that you were born, the fact that every morning you're reborn, after when you wake up in the morning, means that you matter absolutely and forever. You're indispensable in your mission. And therefore, you have all the resources you need to deal with whatever comes your way. That's a very different way of living life. That means no matter what comes tomorrow, and I don't know what's going to come, what curveball, what twist and turn up and down will happen, but I can navigate. The good swimmer doesn't always know what's ahead of him. The bad swimmer doesn't either know what's ahead. So what's the difference between them? One is confident and they know how to navigate. The other one, if a storm comes... They'll fight it until it drains their resources and, God forbid, can be very dangerous. The experienced one, the good swimmer, will ride the waves, won't fight the tide. When the storm abates, he or she will then thrust ahead. They're constantly in a state of a soft movement. Sometimes movement means you go very strongly. Sometimes movement means you allow yourself to be carried. But you don't get paralyzed. There's no such thing as being trapped in in different approaches. So in that context, all the four ultimately are necessary to know about. Because there's elements. Sometimes, for example, situation, you don't surrender, but you need to compromise. But in order to go move forward. So it's step one in moving forward. Sometimes you need to confront. But again, as part of Aisha, not because it's you're reacting to the circumstance as a victim and a product of the events, but because it's part of your fifth approach, which is all about me moving forward. Moving forward? Sometimes, you know, certain things, I'll go to the party that my family invited me to, even though I don't want to go, because your attitude is when I'm not afraid to go. And I don't have to sit there like in a very resigned and surrendered type of situation as a victim. And I don't need to confront because my attitude is moving forward. But moving forward sometimes includes overlooking certain things, but coming from strength, not from weakness. So now we see how the fifth approach actually infuses the other four 
and can turn them from a negative tool to a positive one. Because there are times, yes, not everything you have to sometimes, but if it's coming from a strength of a soul of moving forward, then there are times that some things you can overlook. Sometimes you compromise. Sometimes you, dig, you do yield and give in as part of the moving forward and growth. Sometimes you need to confront as part of growing. Confront those that hurt you and not just be quiet about it. Prayer, as part of the process of moving forward, yes, I pray to God, give me the strength to move forward. Not prayer as instead of moving forward or prayer instead of doing any move. And finally, the fourth approach which is harder to find a redeeming element, but if it's part of moving forward, yes, there are certain things maybe at times when we're very anxious, you may need to have something to escape from. Denial is not always a bad thing if it's part of a healthy growth. Sometimes it's too close for comfort, so you need to avoid it. You need to escape into something else. As long as it's coming from a strong place and a healthy place, not as a reaction to what has happened, then it's all part of number five. And hence, there are five steps. But number five is the key to it all. Because that is what gives us the confidence, the courage, the strength. So when you're indecisive, practically speaking, the last thing you want to do is get into a philosophical discussion about it. Why? What are the approaches? You know what you want to do? The, the best way to approach indecisive is to do something decisive. Even if you're not in the mood. You say, well, I'm indecisive. How could I do it? So don't do it. Let's say it's a big decision. You can't do the big decision right now. But don't allow yourself to be completely paralyzed. Do something small. Call up someone and say something you're certain about. I'd like to talk to you. I have a few kind words I'd like to share with you. I don't know if that's how you put it, but basically you share something warm. Take an initiative. Take initiative. Be proactive. Because... Decisiveness breeds decisiveness. So find something small that you feel you can move forward. What you find often is when people are indecisive, it often spills over to many things in their lives. Not always, but it could spill over. So find something that gives you, builds your confidence. As you build your confidence, it'll become easier. The last thing you want is paralysis. Just, you know what, I can't make a decision, so you just stay stuck. Move forward, always. There's a, a beautiful analogy from the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, the great mystic of the 18th century, where the Baal Shem Tov uses the analogy of a spiral staircase. In Yiddish, a, style, a spiral staircase is called Schwindeltrepp. Schwindeltrepp, Schwindel means swindle. Now, why would it be called swindling staircase? Spiral, we understand. Whether they build it to save space or for aesthetic purposes. But why swindling? Because in a regular staircase, you may have to go up many steps to get to your destination, but you see your destination. You're going directly, you're in one line, a B line, straight toward the destination, or going up toward it. In a spiral staircase, you're swindled because you have to keep making 180 degree revolutions, actually, 360 degree, but you have to. Turn with your back to the destination. So every time you go up another few steps, you turn your back and you can convince yourself, maybe I'm not getting closer to it. So it swindles you into thinking that you're not getting to your destination. So you could be right near the destination, all the way at the top, 
but you have to make that final turn. And when you do, you say to yourself, one second, I haven't made any progress. Psychologically, this happens all the time to us. We try, we try, and since nothing happens, or we think nothing happens, we feel we have not made progress. The key thing to remember that that's how life works. You have to always move forward. Because it could be, even though you don't see the destination, seeing it through, that one final step, and then you'll see it. How many times have I witnessed people who worked hard, and at some point they just gave up? They felt they weren't making progress. And if you really looked at it objectively, they made great progress. They just didn't see it. Sometimes we're subjective. Sometimes we're still trapped in past perspectives. But you have to see it through. That's the moving forward. Life is a spiral staircase, not a regular staircase. It's filled with twists and turns and blind spots and ups and downs. And something right now could be seem negative, but if you look forward, the frames ahead like in a film, you suddenly see one second, the narrative isn't over. So how do, you move, how do you deal with that? Move forward. You'll see anyone who's overcome, the world has healed from, has grown through tragedy, you'll see one common denominator. They all have option number five at work. There's moving forward. How did people who lost families, children, spouses, entire, entire families destroyed in the Holocaust, or other such tragedies, or even on individual, private, personal Holocausts, you ask, how did you move forward? How did you go ahead? And you'll hear the same answer. I dug deeper. I knew I didn't have another option. I was not going to drown. So I had no choice but to dig deeper and swim and move. But it was so painful. That's what I did. And usually I had a good, good support system that helped me along. Family, friends. All the fifth option, moving. So, of course, during that tremendous tragedy, post-trauma, you can't even imagine that you can move from there. But some people continue to live there. They continue to live in that, having that post-traumatic, PTSD, post-traumatic syndrome, stress syndrome, however the acronym works. And they continue to live in that trauma. And it could affect them by being weakened and surrendering and just giving up on themselves, resignation. It could be through constant confrontation and anger and bitterness and war. It can be through escaping in prayer or escaping in general, through numbing yourself and all kinds of different addictions and uh, escapes. But wherever you'll see true growth is they moved. Now, you don't forget the trauma. It always remains there but you're not impacted by it because what's driving you is the more movement forward where you're looking ahead. You build your own home. Many people will say, I built a family. I built a business. It was the only way I could survive after such tragedy. Now, some of us are challenged. We don't know how to get there. That's why we need friends. We need people who understand. We need people who believe in us and help build that confidence. So to know that you have options, that you know that you have choices, is critical. You're not stuck. But it's not just enough to have choices and options because then you can get stuck in just, okay, which one? It's the moving forward that's critical. So we're never stuck. There's always an option. And our challenge is to move forward.
may you and myself and all of us be blessed with that fortitude and that strength. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. Always an honor to share a few words. Please share with others. Please comment, feedback, thoughts, suggestions. I love that exchange. Actually, I thrive on it. We thrive on it. And check us out at MeaningfulLife.com for a full calendar of different resources and events. I'll actually be, this week, I will be also in the West Coast speaking. There'll be some live streams, so you can check that out as well. Be blessed and stay in touch. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.